And it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy620 or you're listening to the podcast at investinghope.com, iTunes, Google Play, tune in, uh, wherever you can find podcasts, you can find this show. Uh, we got a lot to talk about, as always, still as we await the decision from the courts. We had more decisions released yesterday. Uh, the, the court released five decisions, uh, but they did not talk about the Dobbs case out of Mississippi, which means we are still waiting. There is a possibility that tomorrow, Wednesday, there will be more uh, decisions released. Now, we don't know if that will be the Dobbs case or not. Uh, they have, I think, 25 to 28 more more decisions to release between now and the end of the session, which typically is done by the end of June, but they have a lot to get to. So I don't know. You know, there's there's a couple things to, to a couple ways to look at this. You could assume that the court is just holding the Dobbs decision till the last minute. Um, you could I mean. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing, why they're waiting on the on the Dobbs case. They have no rhyme or reason typically on the order they release these decisions. Uh, so we could by tomorrow, uh, this time tomorrow, we could know uh, where that is and if Roe is still in, in, intact or not, uh, or we could wait. And, and so it's it appears to be that Mondays and Wednesdays are when they release decisions. Sometimes they do include a Friday. So I talked to an attorney yesterday, and they said, you know, they could go on into June. The interesting thing to look at, and this is something that I thought about, if the court goes into into the end of June or on into July to make these uh, these announcements, the the last or Friday. At the end of June, at the beginning of July, Friday would be July 1st. So that would be the July 4th holiday. So one could argue they could wait if they wanted to. They could wait till July 1st, release the decisions. Now, the only thing is if there's, let's say they get to the end of June and there's like five decisions left and Dobbs is one of those, then we all know at that point the next group of decisions that are released will include the Dobbs so it won't be the uh, kind of under the rug type deal they would they would seek. But if they waited and they released the Dobbs decision on a July 1st, which is a Friday, which politicians and political groups typically do this because it's a great time to let the, the information kind of get swept up in the news and, and, and dismissed. So you do a news dump on a Friday going into a long weekend. So... They could wait till July 1st, which is a Friday, and then you have the 2nd and 3rd, Saturday, Sunday, a Monday, July 4th, and so one could argue that would be a great time to release it because the news would be focusing on other things, the American public would be focusing on other things because it's a long weekend, people are vacationing, people are taking time off. So I don't know. I don't know if they'll do that. They may release them tomorrow. They may release the Dobbs case next week on Monday or next Wednesday. I don't know. But but I did hear somebody say that, hey, Wednesday of this week, they're going to release all of the rest of the decisions. That's not going to happen, folks. They released five on Monday of this week, and five is typically more than they normally release. Uh, and so they got a few more weeks to go. They're not going to release all the decisions this Wednesday. Could the Dobbs case be released this Wednesday? Certainly. Uh, 
but they're not going to release all the the rest of the court decisions that they have to release. So we're just going to wait and see, and, and, and obviously we'll be talking about it. We'll be discussing it today. We're going to talk about uh, some things that are happening in New York and, and what we're seeing blue state governors do to implement laws and, and protections for abortion uh, in the same way that red state governors are implementing laws and protections uh, to restrict abortion. And so we're going to talk about what New York's doing. We're also going to look at because you're not hearing this very much in, in the uh, kind of the mainstream news outlets. You're not seeing a lot of time given to, uh, you know, somebody outside Justice Kavanaugh's house seeking to murder him. You, you, might or, you may or may not have heard that. That's been kind of not discussed. Uh, that's been, if you look at the New York Times, it was kind of muddied in the, in the middle of the, the paper. If you look at the Sunday shows over this past weekend, very few uh, minutes were given, if any, to that. Uh, also, though, you have pregnancy centers around the country that are being attacked and uh, they're being firebombed. They're having windows busted. They're, they're being graffitied up. Uh, and, and that is a, an organization is seeking, uh, a pro-abortion organization is seeking to do harm to pregnancy centers around the country. And so we have a lot to talk about and discuss at what that's, what that looks like as we have a possibility of Roe being overturned. But first I want to start at Politico. Politico has an article concerning, uh, New York. So New York is on its way to becoming a national abortion safe haven with a series of new laws aimed at shielding abortion patients and providers from out-of-state legal actions. That's what the governor there in New York said. Uh, The governor on Monday signed a package of bills that she and state lawmakers rushed to approve in the final days of session this year ahead of a potential U.S. Supreme Court ruling that could overturn Roe v. Wade, making New York among the first in the nation to act ahead of the looming federal decision. Uh, we've already seen the threat of anti-abortion violence. <laughs> this, this absolutely blows my mind that they would say this. And the climate out there is just getting more extreme every single day, and it's only going to get worse, the governor said at an event in Manhattan. So we need to be ready for that as well. So that's what we do here in New York. We don't talk. We act. We don't follow. We lead. We don't wait. We get to work. So she's saying, the governor there in New York is saying, that we have already seen threats of anti-abortion violence. And the climate out there is getting much more extreme. She's not mentioning the pregnancy center in Buffalo that was firebombed. She's not mentioning the pregnancy center in, in New York that had their windows busted and, and graffiti spray painted all over the building. And that was done by a pro-abortion organization, not an anti-abortion one. Yet she's not enacting laws to protect that pregnancy center, she's enacting laws to protect abortionists and those that seek to get abortions, even though we are not seeing violence toward the abortion industry. The backdrop, the governor held the event at Cooper Union, joined by Senate Majority Leader uh, and Assembly Speaker, advocates and elected officials. The governor said the sky is on the verge of falling in the coming weeks should the draft ruling come to fruition. This is the language that they're using. Now listen to me for a second. We have spent 50 years, 50 years with the law of the land saying you can end the life of the most vulnerable 
human in our society while they're in the womb. We have spent 50 years ending the life of 60 million plus babies via abortion. And here you have a governor in the state of New York saying that if Roe is overturned, that the sky is falling. Think about the fear-mongering, first off, that, that is being laid out there. But also think about the mindset of someone that's, that would say, if you take away our ability to end the life of our children, then the sky is falling. That's nonsense. This governor in New York is the first woman, woman governor in New York and, and who has liberally embraced the issue in her campaign for election this year, blasted the potential decision as an extension of what she said, Republicans' intentional and unrelenting attacks on New Yorkers' reproductive freedoms, especially those in poor and minority communities. Now, now think about this also. The governor of New York is saying that this is an attack on New Yorkers. Here's the reality. If and when Roe is overturned, the state of New York will allow abortions to happen up until birth. That's the reality. The state of New York has enacted laws that will allow for abortion up until birth, and they have the liberty to do that if Roe is overturned, because if Roe is overturned, it goes back to the states. So the states then have the power to legislate to restrict abortion or to allow for abortion. So this, this nonsensical argument that says that if Roe is overturned, we are attacking the women and minorities of New York, that's just, that's not true. But that's what they want to put out in front of people because they know that a lot of people aren't going to go research and dig and see what's going on. The governor said this, this is the United States of America where freedom and liberty are supposed to mean something. It's the rock upon which we were founded. It's supposed to mean something except in the eyes of some Neanderthals. That's what she calls us who think women are not entitled to those rights. Now, now think about that. She's calling me a Neanderthal because, because I'm so backward that I would argue for the protection of the unborn. And she says that, that we're attacking women. What about the women that have been aborted? What about the men that have been aborted? What about the black children, the white children, the Asian children, the Hispanic children that have been aborted? What about their rights? What about their right to freedom and liberty in the greatest country on the planet? What, what about that? You see, she's not going to talk about that. The bills were supported by the governor and passed easily through both legislative chambers where Democrats have strong majorities. But Republicans and some religious groups have characterized the bills as the promotion of abortion. This package of bills seek to encourage abortion tourism rather than helping women and children who may be in need, said the director of government relations for the New York State Catholic Conference, which represents the bishops of New York State and public policy matters. As a state that claims to value autonomy and choice, New York should stop presenting abortion as the best and only option for struggling women and harassing any pro-life pregnancy center that may help women keep their babies. This abortion or nothing narrative only demeans women. Also, that narrative is anti-choice. If you are fully pro-choice, would you not stand in support of a woman that is seeking to have her child 
that is seeking to go to a pregnancy center, would you not stand in support of her? You know, I find it ironic. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about the state of New York, this same governor, attacking Amazon for mistreating their pregnant employees and their disabled employees. So you have a governor in the state of New York that says we are about human rights and you're not going to mistreat pregnant employees while we also have the same governor saying we need to make the environment here in such a way where everyone and anyone can have an abortion at any time during the pregnancy. I told you a couple weeks ago, at some point, the abortion narrative runs into itself. And here you have it. You can't claim and, and, and yell at Amazon and say, treat your pregnant workers better when you're also saying we're going to become a safe haven for abortion. Amazon's making a business decision. Amazon is saying our employee can go on maternity leave for a few months and we still have to pay them or we can pay them $4,000. They can go get an abortion and they're back at work the next week. So, so all Amazon and these other businesses are doing is taking the narrative that's out there and running with it. Yeah, we celebrate women by giving them the opportunity to take the life of their child. And that's what New York is doing. New York has already codified Roe into state law under the state's 2019 Reproductive Health Act. The new measures bolster protections for both residents and out-of-state women seeking abortions with an omnibus measure that would block New York courts from issuing subpoenas in connection with opt-out or with out-of-state abortion proceedings, prohibit extradition of abortion providers unless they are alleged to have fled from the demanding state and provide legal protections for New York abortion providers. The other bills would protect the rights of individuals seeking abortion or gender-affirming care in New York, prohibit disciplinary measures against health practitioners for providing legal reproductive health services to patients who reside in states where abortion is illegal, bar medical malpractice insurance companies from taking any adverse action against a reproductive health care provider who performs legal reproductive health care and increase confidentiality for abortion providers and patients. The governor says she was signing a bill that would study the effects of limited service pregnancy centers. Of course, of course, you see, they're attacking the organizations that are offering free care and service to these moms to to create an environment that would celebrate motherhood while they're celebrating and, and offering protections to those organizations that would seek to create an environment that makes it easy to take the life of your child. You see the dichotomy and the nonsense there. But New York is saying they're a champion. They're leading the way. Leading the way to end the life of babies in the womb. That's, they want to be a leader in that. Shame on us. We'll be back. Jesus, only you get on my so as we continue the conversation today, I do want to bring your attention to some things that have happening, happened around our country involving pregnancy centers. Uh, the, the reality is this isn't being talked about uh, by many. And if it's, if it's brought up at all, it's so uh, minor and they give it so very little time that, that you don't even get to uh, hear really what's going on. And, and they're not getting protection. They're, they're not being, uh, you know, no one is out mourning the fact that, that pregnancy centers are being attacked but this is where we are. 
So I wrote something that, that we're going to be sending out in the, in the next day or so, uh, but, but I just wanted to share it with you. So as you are aware through uh, conversations here and other correspondence, we are on the cusp of a monumental decision for the Supreme Court concerning the decision that made abortion legal in the United States back in 1973. So as we await this news, we are unfortunately seeing acts of violence, vandalism, and property damage as extremist groups target pregnancy centers around the country. These attacks so far have been carried out in Oregon, in New York, in Alaska, in Washington, in North Carolina, and Virginia. These attacks have also happened between the hours of 2 a.m. or midnight and 2 a.m. So they're happening when no one is present at the building. Uh, you know, at, at Hope, we have not been directly targeted or threatened, but we have implemented precautions and are in contact with local authorities to make sure that our staff, volunteers, and patients are safe. These extremist groups have detailed their desire to see pregnancy centers shut down and silenced as we attempt to serve our communities. And I anticipate these calls to violence to only intensify as we get closer to a ruling from the court and certainly once the decision is handed down. So as we enter into, the vol into this volatile situation, I wanted to request something of you, the listener. Would you join me in praying, supporting, and engaging in the work of hope in places like it around our country? I can't pretend to know what the court's decision will be, but I do believe that in the coming days or weeks we will see the end of Roe. I also know that the Lord has called us to the work in such a time as this, to love, serve, and care for men, women, and babies in our city and beyond. And you make that happen today. And, and I'm asking you to continue to stand with us in the greater Pregnancy Center movement as we serve today, tomorrow, and for years to come. You know, we, we couldn't do any of this work without you. So you may be listening to this and you're in Knoxville and you're like, well, what does this matter to me? If it's not happening to Hope in Knoxville, why should I even concern myself with it? Well, you should concern yourself with it because there is an organization, a pro-abortion extremist organization, actively seeking out to silence and harm pregnancy centers. They're doing that with purpose. They're doing that with violence. They're doing that with vandalism, with graffiti. And, and I want to tell you about what happened in uh, Oregon with a, a pregnancy center director that I know. Radical abortion activists who firebombed the office of a pro-life pro groups in Wisconsin and Oregon firebombed a pregnancy center in Buffalo, New York, and who have vandalized over a dozen churches and pregnancy centers have struck again. Now, not even a week after abortion supporters firebombed the Buffalo Pregnancy Center, again, Buffalo, New York, where the governor of New York isn't mentioning this. Instead, she's attacking pro-lifers and pregnancy centers. There's a pregnancy center in Buffalo that got firebombed. Another center in Gresham, Oregon, has now been set ablaze. The Gresham Pregnancy Resource Center was set on fire Saturday morning, according to officials with the Pregnancy Center. From initial investigations by police and fire authorities, it appears an incendiary device was thrown through a window. Our alarm system immediately alerted fire and police, and they arrived very quickly and extinguished the fire. It was mostly contained to one room, but damage there was extensive, and there is additional water and smoke damage in other parts of the building. Nobody was hurt, Luke Cirillo, the CEO, said in a statement. Cirillo said he and his staff will not back down from their commitment to helping pregnant women and children, both born and unborn. This is what Cirillo had to say. When our Southeast Portland Pregnancy Center was vandalized a few weeks back, I said at the time that we had an incredibly resilient team. It remains true. 
I'm deeply encouraged by the way our staff grieves honestly and prays genuinely for the hearts of the people perpetrating these crimes. At the same time, this hurts. Arson is particularly violent and destructive, and it compromises a sense of safety for our team and for the people we serve. On top of that, this will require temporary closure of our center until we can make repairs. The kind of outrage that's being directed at us is based on a complete misunderstanding and misrepresentation of who we are and how we have served the hundreds of thousands of people that have come to us over the decades. This moment in our culture is volatile, and the spillover into violence is deeply destructive to the fabric of our communities. We reject and refuse to have any part in the culture of hate. Jesus has modeled a different way. It's the way of love. That narrow way includes, as a challenge to us all, the love of those who hate us. This incident is happening just as we were going to begin a full renovation of the Gresham Center. When we do reopen, we plan for the center to be a welcoming, warm, and beautiful space where we can again serve our patients with all the care we always have. We are absolutely committed to continuing our work to serve women who may be pregnant with dignity and respect, providing practical and professional clinical services. The Seattle Field of Divisions of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives said it is investigating the arson. Graffiti on the building left by the arsonist refers to the abortion activists who have struck elsewhere around the country. Jane's Revenge has taken responsibility for a firebombing of a pro-life organization in Wisconsin in May, and it could have been responsible for bombing the offices of Oregon Right to Life during the same month. It has also vandalized and destroyed multiple churches and pregnancy centers. In Wisconsin, the pro-life group that was the subject of a firebombing is offering a reward to help find and arrest, arrest the radical abortion activist who firebombed its office last month. As Life News reported, abortion activists firebombed a pro-life group's office in Madison, Wisconsin. A leftist radical threw uh, Molotov cocktails into Wisconsin Family Action's office in the capital city, and a picture of the destruction shows the office heavily damaged from the bomb. The pro-abortion terrorist responsible also vandalized the building and left a threatening message saying, quote, if abortions aren't safe, then you aren't either, end quote. A radical pro-abortion group named James Revenge eventually said it was responsible and is threatening increasingly violent attacks that extend beyond Wisconsin if its demands are not met. Writing, Wisconsin is the first flashpoint, but we are all over the U.S. and we will issue no further warnings, end quote. This is where we are, folks. This is what we're dealing with. And so, does it anger me? Absolutely. Does it uh, bring about a, a, a sense of, of bitterness, if I'm honest? Absolutely. But here's the thing. Abortion has been the law of the land and a quote-unquote right since 1973. We have raised up generations to know that you have the ability and the right even to take the life of a child in the womb. And I've said this for many years on this show and at other places, that this is the golden calf. And I use that metaphor, that illustration on purpose, because if you think about Scripture, the golden calf was the idol that was built because they were tired of waiting. Even though God brought them out of some terrible situations and scenarios, they still constructed a golden calf as an idol. 
that could do nothing for them. But they were constantly seeking that which could fill their heart, but nothing could fill or quench that except for God. And so what we have as a secular culture is we have folks that have, that have seen this, and this is a religion to them. And this is the idol. This is the golden calf. This is the, the, the quote-unquote right that trumps all other rights. And so when, when you seek to take that away from them, and, and even though the reality is if Roe is overturned, it just goes back to the states, they are acting as if it will be outlawed everywhere. Oh, wouldn't we long for that day? And so you have extremist groups that are seeking to cause violence, we don't, we don't engage in the violence. We don't counter violence with violence. But we ain't going to close our doors. And we're not going anywhere. There are men and women in our community that need assistance. And there are going to be some others that want to see us close our doors. We can't. We must stay open. We must continue to serve. We must be there for those that are in need. These extremist groups are going to try to silence and shut everybody up. They're not going to win. Let's do the work we've been called to do. Do it in a kind, in a loving, in a graceful manner, but also seeking to protect those around us. We have that ability, and we're going to do all we can to make sure that continues. We'll be back. And I'll praise you in the dark, and I will lift my hands, you are. So did you know that one of our Supreme Court justices were, uh, there was a plot uh, of his assassination? Were you aware of that? It happened just last week. And so you may have been aware of that if you're, if you're paying attention. But for many of us, if you're just watching news and local news or national news, it might not have even made it into your timeline. Because it, it wasn't discussed to a point that, that deserved uh, attention. And so why am I bringing it up? I'm bringing it up because we have seen since the leaked draft of the potential majority opinion in the Dobbs case by Justice Alito, since that draft was leaked, we have seen protest, uh, we have seen mobs out in front of the homes, the homes of Supreme Court justices, homes that, that house children, young children, Spouses, homes that are found in neighborhoods with neighbors that have nothing to do with it. They didn't sign up to live next to a Supreme Court justice. They didn't sign up for their subdivision to be uh, overrun with, with protest. And, and you've heard the administration, you've heard pro-abortion activists say, look, they're not being violent. It's okay. They should be able to protest where they want to protest, even if that is the front yard of your home. You heard... Senator Chuck Schumer of New York a few weeks ago say at a press conference and at a rally, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, you don't know what whirlwind you just set loose, but you will know very soon and you will pay. That's what he said. You will pay the price. Fast forward to just last week and what happened. Justice Kavanaugh just about paid the price. But did you know that? 
Because the New York Times buried news of a foiled assassination plot against Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, placing its only article on the incident on page A20 of Thursday's edition of the paper. Nicholas John Rosk, a 26-year-old Californian, traveled across the country to the justices' home armed with a pistol, a knife, and zip ties, among other weapons, and told authorities that he intended to assassinate Kavanaugh. He had zip ties, a Glock, a knife, a crowbar. He had mountain boots with padding on the bottom so he could quietly walk into the home. He had a screwdriver. He had pepper spray. He had a tactical vest. Roska arrived in front of Kavanaugh's home in a cab early Wednesday morning, around 1.30 or 2 o'clock in the morning. After spotting two federal marshals stationed in front of the house, he walked down a nearby street and eventually called the police on himself. So he got out of the cab, 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning, on a suburban street in Virginia, and he looks over, and, and the, the police affidavit that I read said he made eye contact with two federal marshals. What would have happened had those, no, had those marshals not been there? He made eye contact with two federal marshals who just happened to be standing outside of their vehicle. And then this uh, perp walked down the road, and while walking, he called the police on himself. According to charging documents, he told police he was motivated by how he thought the justice might rule on gun and abortion cases before the court and was especially concerned by the leak of a draft opinion in, in the Dobbs case, which indicated that the majority of justices were prepared to do away with the precedent set in Roe v. Wade. He told authorities that killing Kavanaugh would give his life purpose. Folks, he's 26 years old. Now, clearly, there's some mental health issues here. 26 years old, and he's looking for purpose in life. And he thought giving himself purpose would be killing Justice Kavanaugh and then killing himself. That was his goal. That was his plan. And he went as far as flying from California across country to Virginia, having a suitcase full of these weapons and, and things to help him break into the home. And the only thing it appears that stopped it were two marshals were outside the home of Kavanaugh. He's looking for purpose, he said. Stories that did earn a spot on the front page of Thursday's Times included a primer on the primetime January 6th committee hearing set for Thursday night, that was last week, and a piece of, on returning to office spaces to work after the pandemic. Even on page 20, the Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh story received short shrift, coming in below the headline, New York AG set to question three Trumps under oath. The Kavanaugh headline does not acknowledge that the that Rosk stated intention to murder the justice, instead stating, quote, man with pistol, crowbar, and zip ties is arrested near Kavanaugh's home. You see, even when they do report it, they don't tell the full story. Yeah, just some random guy was caught, but it had nothing to do with Justice Kavanaugh, even though the words from this guy himself said, I flew all the way here to end the life of Justice Kavanaugh. But the Times is not alone. USA Today did not include a single story on the assassination attempt in its print edition on Thursday. And Politico Playbook also failed to mention the narrowly avoided assassination of a Supreme Court justice. To its credit, the Washington Post did include a story on Kavanaugh on its front page, although its framing, quote, man arrested near justice's home was 
of course, out of context. In 2020, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer warned that Justice Neil Gorsuch and Kavanaugh would reap the whirlwind, this is what I mentioned earlier, and pay the price if they were to vote to alter Supreme Court doctrine on abortion. It's unclear what price Schumer was referring to, given the fact that Gorsuch and Kavanaugh are not subject to political cost or voter whims. You see, this is why this matters and it's important. You know, I think politicians at times, Republican and Democrat alike, like to fan the flames and get people all worked up. They tend to forget that there's a lot of crazies out there listening to them. So when you say things like, you've released the whirlwind and you will pay the price, how exactly are they going to pay the price? Because our justices are not voted on. Our justices are appointed for life. So what price are they going to pay? Now, if you're running against a candidate for Senate or House or County Commission or whatever, and you say you'll pay the price, you could say you'll pay the price at the polls. You'll lose your seat. You'll, you'll no longer be in office. The, the people will, spoke, will speak and, and you won't get the votes that you need. That's one thing. But when you're talking about Supreme Court justices who aren't voted on and who are appointed for life, what price are they going to pay exactly? And then when you couple that with you're going to pay the price and we're now encouraging people to show up at your home. What do you think is going to happen? That's why Judge Alito is not at his home. He's at a secure, safe location. That's why Kavanaugh, I I haven't heard, but I'm sure he and his family are not at their home at the moment. Folks, this is, this is not sustainable. Look, we can argue and we can debate and we can disagree. But, but if you see those that disagree with you as an enemy, deserving of being, uh, having their life rid of, then you're the problem, not them. Look, I think abortion is, a tr- is an atrocity. I think it's wrong. I want to see laws on the books that protect the life of the unborn. I want to see Roe v. Wade go away. But I don't seek violence toward those that disagree with me. And so we can't operate in a way in this country Whereas if a court is going to make a decision that we don't agree with, we're going to take matters into our own, our own hands and, and go to people's homes, fly across country, do these type of things, throw firebombs through the windows of pregnancy centers. No, we don't do that. We shouldn't do that. And when it is done, we should, as a collective Republicans, Democrats, and everybody in between, pro-life, pro-choice, and everybody in between, should be able to come together and say, this is not the way. You know, it's interesting to me that one of the few outspoken leftists is Bill Maher, who said the other day, I can't believe the New York Times buried this story about Kavanaugh. Bill Maher doesn't like Kavanaugh. Bill Maher disagrees with Kavanaugh on everything. He disagrees with Trump that appointed Kavanaugh on everything. But Bill Maher 
can come out and say, yeah, but we can't be okay with that. We can't encourage people to protest outside the homes of Supreme Court justices. Like, we all should be able to say that. Even the justices that I disagree with, I don't want them in danger. I don't want people outside their homes where their kids live and their spouses are. It's one thing if you want to protest outside the Supreme Court. It's one thing if you want to go to D.C. and, and do all of that and have rallies. And, and I mean, that's what they kind of expect at that point. But when they go back home, and Kavanaugh's got little kids, what are we doing, folks? And, and here's the thing. The, the news outlets are acting as if these things aren't happening. And they're thinking, look, if we don't talk about a center in Oregon or Asheville or Buffalo getting vandalized or burned or having their windows busted, if we don't talk about it, no one will know it's happening. But it's happening at such a clip that eventually they're going to have to stop ignoring it. And it's the same thing a few weeks ago when people were protesting outside the homes of justices and the administration came out and said, it's okay, we don't see anything wrong with that happening. And then fast forward just a few weeks later and you have someone literally outside the home of Kavanaugh with, gun, with a gun, a knife, and zip ties looking to do harm. We got to step up. We'll talk more when we come back. I ain't as good as I once was. Toby Keys, back in my country radio days, I played the snot out of some Toby Keys. You know, one thing, be praying for Toby. He, he was diagnosed with stomach cancer about a year ago, and so he's had to cancel some shows, and, and he's gone through radiation and treatment, uh, but seems to be doing better. But uh, that's tough. So uh, that's more news than you probably wanted, but that's that's where we're at. That's I'm a wealth of, of meaningless, meaningless information. So uh, so as we as we finish up today, let's... Let's think through moving forward, okay? So we are on the cusp of seeing Roe overturn. I believe that with all my heart. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, did you ever think you would see this? And I said, you know, I talked about it. I spoke about it. I told people I thought I'd see it in my lifetime, but did I really believe it? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And, and now that we're so close, it almost doesn't seem real. And so when that decision is is released, and if it goes the way we think it's going to go by reading the leaked document, the majority opinion by Alito, if it goes that way, I mean, you talk about historical, a time of celebration. And, and here's the thing, it's not just pro-lifers that think it's going to go away, it's the abortion industry is preparing for this. That's why New York is doing what it's doing. That's why this terrorist organization is doing what it's doing to pregnancy centers, because they believe it's going away. And again, it's the golden calf. Remember, you take away the idol, you take away the golden calf, and you start to see. So you, you get a chance to look behind the curtain, and you start to see what's really going on. And so what we're seeing now is the doubling down. Right. So for a long time, it was safe, legal and rare. You heard Hillary Clinton say it. You heard Bill Clinton say it. You heard Joe Biden say it. You heard every prominent pro-choicer 
that ran for office would say, look, we want safe, legal, and rare abortions. No one wants an abortion, but if they have to get one, we want it to be safe, legal, and rare. And they would always point back to the, you know, in the alleyways, which, you know, there's not that many alleyways in this country, but they would say in the alleys, people are taking coat hangers and, and, and doing self-abortions, you know, nonsense. But they would say safe, legal, and rare. And then they would say it's a woman's right. In 1973, Roe v. Wade proved that it was a woman's right, even though it's nowhere in the Constitution, even though the founders didn't mention it. They, they came up with it out of thin air in 1973, and they gave us abortion. There was like four states in the Union before that that allowed for abortion up to, the, up to term, and after Roe v. Wade, it went across the country, whether the citizens wanted it or not. Well, will you take away Roe, and you take away the ability to defend their abortion position. Right now, you have sensical people, sensible people, that have said for a long time, look, I'm personally pro-life, but I believe it's up to a woman. It's not for me to decide, and it's a woman's right. That's what Roe v. Wade gave to us. Now, if Roe is overturned, you no longer can make that argument. So now... You're going to have to make your argument by saying that we just believe you should be able to take the life of a human at any point in the pregnancy. You see, so you can't hide behind the safe, legal, and rare anymore because what you're going to have is you're going to have some states that go all in, like Tennessee, that say no abortions. You're going to have some states that go 10, 12, 15 weeks. And then you're going to have states like New York that are going all in, all the way up to nine months, protections for abortion doctors. They, abortion doctors will not be able to be sued even if there's a malpractice case. They're going to put protections in for them. They're going to fly people to their state. They're going to pay for it with taxpayer dollars. So now you have a group of folks that have said for a long time, look, personally, I'm pro-life, but I believe it's a woman's right to choose. Well, now they're going to have to look at, at their elected officials and go, Hold on, but, but you're saying my tax dollars are going to pay for that abortion? Hold on, you're, you're saying that my tax dollars as a New York citizen are going to pay for someone from another state to fly up here and get an abortion? So while all this is going on with inflation and while our gas prices are, are averaging around $5 across the country, you're saying that you're going to use my tax dollars to fly someone here and pay for them to end the life of their unborn child, let them make those arguments, folks. Because if you're looking at the polls right now, and you ask people, what are the most important things? Here's the, here's the sad truth. For the bulk of the population, abortion, if it's in the top ten, is so far at the bottom that it's not front of mind. Inflation's front of mind. Gas prices in front of mind. And so you would, our politicians would have you think otherwise, but the reality is people are going to start to see behind the curtain and go, oh no, these people just want to end babies' lives all the way up to nine months. That's not what I signed up for. And I don't agree with that. That's where we are. We'll see. Next time we talk, hopefully, it's to celebrate the end of Roe. We'll talk to you next week.